0: VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: The legends are true! Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. The two years, two months, and two days Henry David Thoreau spent at Walden Pond represent one of the most well-known experiences in American literary and philosophical history. Thoreau's time at Walden has become something of a legend, one that is alternately lionized and criticized. Yet though many people know of Thoreau's experience at Walden and the book he wrote about it, far fewer really understand its whys, what's, and hows. My guest, who's dedicated his career to studying Thoreau, will unpack the oftenest nuances and common misconceptions about Walden. His name is Jeffrey S. Kramer, and he's the curator of collections at the Walden Woods Project, as well as the author and editor of numerous books about Thoreau, including Walden, a fully annotated edition. Today on the show, Jeffrey explains the reason Thoreau went to Walden, which wasn't originally to write about the experience, and which ended up evolving over time. We discuss what Walden Pond was like, dimensions and furnishings of the house Thoreau built on its shores and how he spent his days there. Jeffrey explains why Thoreau left Walden, how he was less attached to the experience than we commonly assume, and how the significance of the experience came less from living it and more from writing about it. We then discuss how Walden the book became a classic despite an initially slow start before turning to what Jeffrey thinks of the common criticisms of it and the popular impulse to tear Thoreau down. We end our conversation with what we moderns can learn from Thoreau's experiment with living deliberately. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is/walden. All right, Jeffrey Kramer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. I'm happy to be here. So I think everyone, uh, particularly in the United States, if you went to high school, you probably read Walden. I remember, I think it was like 11th grade It was when we did American literature mm-hmm. or 10th grade. Or even, even if you didn't read it in high school, you might have picked it up and it really resonated with you. Because you're in that period of your life, you're trying to... Become an individual and figure out who you are, and there's something about Walden that speaks to that. So I hope we can dig into this, into Walden. But before we do, kind of let's go do like a thumbnail sketch of Henry David Thoreau before his Walden project. You know, when and where was he born? What was his upbringing, education like, and uh, you know that sort of thing?
0: Yeah. So I mean, he's born in Concord, July twelfth, eighteen seventeen. We don't know a lot of. Specific things about his childhood. We only know a few things, but he did visit Walden for the first time when he was about four or five His family consisted of his parents Cynthia and John his older siblings Helen and also John and his younger sister Sophia He attended Concord Academy, which is not the same one that's there today and as did his brother John and they studied things like Geography history science, but also languages French Latin Greek and then he attended Harvard graduating in 1837. He had taken a boat trip in 1838 with his brother John from Concord, Mass, to Concord, New Hampshire, which became the basis of his first book, A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers. And he also lived in the Emerson household for a while as Emerson's handyman of sorts, helping out in various ways, but also being mentored by Emerson as a writer and helping Emerson with the editing of the transcendental journal, The Dial. Oh, yeah, he also fell in love and proposed marriage at that time. And yeah, he had quite a busy time prior to the Walden experiment.
1: And after college, didn't he have a period where he did some teaching as well?
0: He did. So when he graduated, that was going to be his career path to be a teacher. And he did teach in the Concord Public School for a short time, but he left that. He didn't like the idea of having to flog the children as a method of teaching them. And so he quit. And he and his brother John started a school which eventually moved into what was the Concord Academy. And so he did have, I guess you call it a traditional career path, you know, he graduated college. He was starting a school, he was teaching. He actually had, as I said, had, had fallen in love and proposed marriage that didn't work out for various reasons, but, but then John got sick and they closed the school. And then eventually John died for a completely different reason. He had he cut himself shaving and got locked jaw and died. And that pretty much put an end to Thoreau as a teacher.
1: And how did his death, I mean besides ending his teaching career, but how did it impact him personally? Yeah, the, he and John were
0: very, very close brothers. and that death was extremely difficult for Thoreau to get beyond. You know it, it was it was hard for him. It, it, people tell stories of mentioning John in passing to Thoreau and tears would come to his eyes. So it was it was something that affected him deeply more than I think people tend to realize and his going to Walden Pond, which we'll talk about I think shortly, was in part to write a book about John. It was a way of working through that grief and to write his book A Week on the Concord of Merrimack Rivers about this boat trip that he had taken with John was a way of sort of working through things. And so going to Walden was in
1: part to write that book. So he's a teacher, he was doing some writing as well. Mm-hmm. When so like what when did he, do we know that like, he's decided like I'm gonna do this thing? I'm gonna try this Walden experiment. Do we have an idea when that happened? We don't. So you know, the, the
0: interesting thing about Thoreau, which I think a lot of people don't tend to realize, is that the narrator in most of his works, whether it's Walden or Civil Disobedience, Katahdin. It's sort of a persona. It's it's not exactly Henry David Thoreau. It's not the Henry David Thoreau that walked around Concord. So despite the fact that we read Walden almost as autobiography, it's not. It's creative nonfiction. It's something he he worked on. So I mean he went to Walden really, as he said, to conduct some private business, and that was to write the book about John. And while he was there, people started asking him questions. You know, Henry, what are you doing? If you think about it, Walden Pond or Walden Woods was marginal land. It was land that wasn't good for farming. It wasn't good for much. So it's where people lived who were not sort of welcome in Concord society. It's where freed enslaved people had lived. It's where the Irish lived who were there building the railroad, but really weren't part of Concord society. It's where what they called lurkers. I love that word, kind of 19th century word, lurkers, lived in the woods, alcoholics, just people who were not part of the normal mid-19th century Concord society. So there you have Henry David Thoreau, college graduate, former teacher from a respectable family going off and living in this place where you would not normally expect somebody like that to live. And so people started saying like, Henry, what are you doing? And he started giving a lecture called A History of Myself, in part to explain what he was doing. And in that lecture, and in thinking about what he was doing, it evolved over time into the book Walden. So I don't think he actually started out to do what we think of him as doing at Walden Pond.
1: Okay, so he went to Walden. He had no intention of writing a book about his experience. He went there to write another book. It was because people were asking him what you're doing, like, well, maybe this this could be a book. Right. I mean, he started thinking about what what was he actually
0: doing out there. What was he trying to do while he was living there, besides writing the book?
1: And yeah, I think we something people need to understand about Concord life. Like as you said, Walden Pond wasn't great land. People that were there were sort of the outcasts. Concord at the time was very community based. Mm-hmm. Most people lived with somebody. Yes, and you were kind of a weirdo if you decided to <laughs> live by yourself. Yeah, I mean, it was a it, family was
0: important being part member of a church, all that community sense was extremely important. So, and and Thoreau was very close to his family. It wasn't like he was in any way estranged. He was very, very close to his family, loved his family dearly. And so it was odd to kind of pick up and go off. I mean, people did that. I mean, he had a friend who had done that a couple of years previous, but to kind of go off for a long period of time where you're living in the woods
1: was, was a bit odd. Well, tell us more about the spot he decided to build his cabin alongside Walden Pond. So you said not great land, people in the area, they were freed blacks, the Irish, just sort of the outcasts of society. Tell us more about that area. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lovely pond. It's a kettle pond. It's, it's quite beautiful. Is it
0: the most exquisite pond ever? <laughs> Is it the most beautiful place on earth? No, it, it's, a, it's a lovely pond. It has become... More lovely or more beautiful in the eyes of people who look at it through Thoreau's eyes, who come to it because it's Walden Pond that he wrote about. But it's a fairly ordinary pond, I'd have to say. He was living on Emerson's land. Emerson had some woodlots there. And Thoreau got permission from Emerson to build a house there in which he could write, sort of as a writer's retreat, basically. And he did not live for free off of Emerson's land. I I just want to sort of clear up the ideas that Thoreau may have been living off of people. That's actually not true. He worked for Emerson. He did manual labor for Emerson. He did things like help plant pine trees in Emerson's woodlots. He did various things to help out the Emersons. So it was a bartering for permission to live there. And he built himself this house. And and I, I want to say it's a house, not a cabin or a shack or a shanty, which is how a lot of people refer to it. It was a place he was planning on living for a while and establishing himself for a while. And it's interesting that he had the front door of the house situated in a way that would allow him to see the sunrise most mornings when he opened the door. But the most beautiful part about the whole move to Walton Pond is that he moved on July 4th, which in most people's mind is Independence Day. He is trying to strike out some kind of independence from his existence as it was. But he went to write a book about his brother John, who he was thinking about often. And John's birthday is July 5th, which means that in moving to Walden Pond on July 4th, his very first day of his new life at Walden Pond is his brother John's
1: birthday. And
0: that's kind of a beautiful has a beautiful symmetry
1: to it that's interesting i didn't know that so i mean in thoreau's mind in his in like you know we're talking about thoreau himself right the real thoreau Mm -hmm. he went there for his brother's birthday i mean that's probably what's going on but then afterwards when thoreau was writing walden did he make a significance that he moved in on july 4th
0: yeah i mean there are there are things that he is saying in the book that are I think are also true. I mean, it was an independence day of sorts. He went to live deliberately. There are things that he says in the book that I think are absolutely true, but they also become true through the writing of the book. It's a process in which he's thinking about his life.
1: So I wanna talk more a little bit about Walden, the physical aspect of it. Was it far away from Concord or was it pretty close? It was It was very
0: close. I believe it's about a mile or half a mile from town. He could walk into town on the railroad tracks if he wanted to go that way. It's an easy walk, and he would walk into town almost every day to go to the post office, to get the newspaper, to visit friends and family. People would visit him at the pond. It was not secluded, it was not a wilderness area far away from humanity. In fact, the Irish who were building the railroad lived at the time he was there on the other side of the railroad tracks which means he could literally hear the irish workers who lived there from his his own house he was that close to other people so not some kind of go off into the wilderness and not come back for two years it wasn't that kind of experience
1: but it was far enough away where he could be alone yes absolutely so talk about more at this house like how what were its dimensions how big was it What were its furnishings, and and why do you think Thoreau, you know, he's in the in Walden, he spends a lot of time like doing the calculations, like um, on the cost of my house. Like what what was going on there? Why did he do that? I think in part because he wants people to know that
0: it was real, that it's it's actually he did build a house. This is what it costs. This is what what he did, and I think it hits home that what he was doing was an actual real life choice that he was making at the time the house itself was about 10 by 15 feet for comparison you might want to realize that most single dorm rooms are less than that so when people come to the pond to weldon pond and they stand in the replica that is there i think they're often surprised at the size of it because it feels bigger than they imagined it to be the house had a root cellar a garret a closet a brick fireplace. For furnishings, he had a bed, a table, desk, three chairs. As he said, three chairs, one for solitude, two for friendship, three for society. He had a small mirror, a pair of tongs and andirons. And for cooking and dining, he had a kettle, a skillet, frying pan, a dipper, wash bowl, two knives and forks, three plates, one cup, and one spoon. <laughs> he also had an oil lamp and a jug for oil and a jug for molasses. In for, before the second winter, he also added a small cooking stove. And so, and if you think about those kinds of furnishings and, and the things he had, that's a pretty comfortable existence for somebody.
1: Okay, so after he builds the cabin, like what was the typical day like for Thoreau at Walden? What did, he, what did he, how did he spend his time? Yeah, well, one of
0: the first things he did was he had a morning bath. So, he loved to go out into the pond. He said that he, he was inclined to think bathing almost one of the necessaries of life but he said it's also surprising how indifferent some are to it. If you think about it, like books of hygiene from the 19th century indicated that bathing for cleanliness had not yet become a practice. It was clear that people weren't bathing to be clean. So his was more of a, a spiritual practice. In fact, there's a story he tells in his journal about a farmer, Minot, who he was talking to. And he said he was thinking of a bathing after he was done with his hoeing. And he doesn't mean his hoeing for the day. He actually means his hoeing for the, growing for the entire season. So Minot was going to bathe after he did his hoeing and taking some soap and going down to Walden and having himself a, a bath. But something had occurred to prevent it. And Minot said that he'll just go unwashed until the next harvesting. So, I mean, you're talking about farmers who haven't bathed for over a year. So Thoreau was doing something a bit unique, but it was definitely a more of a spiritual exercise than anything. He would work in his bean field doing some hoeing or other work, sometimes followed by another bath. He confessed that sometimes he would sit in his doorway from sunrise till noon in some sort of reverie, just thinking about things. The afternoon was then free in which he could explore the natural world around him or walk into town, visit friends and family um, in town or at Walden, and also to read and to write. So he spent many hours not only exploring the world around him, but many hours thinking about it, reading
1: about it, and writing about it. Well, I want to talk about the reading aspect. Let's talk about the bean field because he has a whole chapter Dedicated to the bean field. Why did he decide to grow beans? Because i from my understanding, beans weren't a very profitable crop.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's always that is a question that comes up a lot. And he threw himself didn't particularly like beans. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing. And it it he did it sort of as a cash crop, but as you say, it's not very profitable. I think it's it plays on a pun, and that is in the idea that a person doesn't know beans. There's there's a New England phrase. I don't know if it's all over, if everybody uses it, but they don't know beans about nothing. They don't know beans about this. They don't know beans about that. And I think just the idea of saying, I want to know beans means I want to know things. I want to understand things. I want to be able to grasp things. So yes, he did grow beans. And yes, he had a a field where he grew various crops, but I don't think that's the reason for it being involved. And I think the reason is, really to talk about that idea of wanting to know things, to know beans.
1: And I also think he picked beans because they didn't require a lot of work. You can just kind of- Right. You know, yep. he, had, he had other stuff. He, he was more important things to think about besides- Absolutely. Food. Yeah, and I also I think it was sort of a, kind of a, he was being a, a what's the word? A rebel, right? Because at the time, mm-hmm. the, this agriculture was really picking up in Concord. All the scientific methods about how to get the most yield. And Thoreau, you know, in, in his section about growing beans, he just say, ah, you know, I'd sprinkle them around and I'd hoe around a little bit. <laughs> and that's it. And I think he's kind of like putting a thumb in the eye of those guys.
0: Yeah. And in the second year, there was a frost that killed a lot of things. And so it's not that he's that upset about it. It's not like it was his livelihood.
1: Uh, so you mentioned the reading. Thoreau said he had this whole chapter about reading the great books. So we're talking Homer and Aristotle and even the Bhagavad Gita. But he even admitted, well, when I first got there, I was hoping to read a lot, but I didn't read as much as I wanted. What happened there?
0: He was just, he was busy. Not just busy finishing up his house, which did take time, and as well as the bean field. It's interesting. People think of him as being off in the woods and not really doing anything. But his job, his reason for being, the, the things he did was studying nature, exploring, thinking writing. Those are his tasks. So, I think he didn't have enough time for actual reading because he was so busy doing other things, writing in his journal and, and exploring the area.
1: So, you said that he went there to write this book about him and his brother. Did, did he write that book while he was in Walden? Did he, did he, that happen? He did.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, while he was at Walden, he wrote two drafts of, of his first book. He also wrote drafts of Walden. So, Walden, in its first iteration, was written at Walden Pond. Even though the later versions of it, you know, were written after he was back in Concord. And he also wrote the essay Katahdin from the book The Main Woods, and probably some kind of draft or or note on civil disobedience, because he was also arrested and put in jail while he was there. So there was a lot going on in those two years, a lot of writing.
1: Well, see, I, I don't think a lot of people know that. I think a lot of people think he just kinda of hung out and looked at nature, right. but it was he was he was productive. Let's talk about the nature because a lot of the book is just about his observations. Of nature, like what was going on there? Was did he was he trying to be scientific? Like was he trying to contribute to what nature is and what it's like, or was it something else going on? I think it was something else going on. I mean, people use his observations now to talk about global
0: warming and to show how things have changed, and so his observations, being very precise, are very helpful now. But I don't think that was his purpose. I think his purpose was to try to understand the world we're in. If you think about nature as a gift, a gift from God, the natural world as a gift, it's a holy place, it's sacred, and to spend time out in nature trying to understand this world we are blessed to be in was equivalent to anybody else going to church. It was a way that he worshipped God, worshipped the world we live in, worshipped the greater things around us. So there's that. But there also is trying to understand literally about why does this plant grow here and not there? Why when you cut down trees in a field does a different kind of tree grow? Why or when does the ice break up on Walden Pond and what does that mean? So he's he is conducting his own kind of somewhat scientific experiments to try to understand things also at the time.
1: Yeah, One of my favorite ones is he tries to figure out how deep Walden Pond is. He yes. goes on the ice and he like drops a hammer down there and he's able to fish it up somehow with a rope. Yeah, so he would have a rope that would have knots in it that would tell him how
0: deep it is and he'd put a weight, usually I think a rock so that you can tell when you are plumbing the death by putting the, the rope with a rock, you can tell lowering it down when it hits the bottom because there's a, there's a give to the rope. So in doing that, he could very accurately measure Walden Pond. So his measurements that he made in all different directions across the pond when they've been tested by today's method are extremely accurate.
1: So you mentioned he, besides writing his book, besides, you know, working on his beans marginally, Besides the nature observation, he he spent time writing in his journal. Yeah, when did he start keeping a journal? Was it like right as soon as he moved in, and what was his journaling practice like in general?
0: It was before that, so it's literally on October twenty second, eighteen thirty seven. That's when he made his first journal entry. So he had been living off and on in the Emerson house, but of course visiting with Emerson a lot, and and they would have lots of discussions and it's interesting that Emerson wrote in his journal on the next day, October 22nd, that he was trying to think of people who kept journals and he could only name the French essayist Montaigne, his neighbor, Bronson Alcott, his aunt, Mary Moody Emerson, and himself. And he said in his journal, besides these, I did not last night think of another, but it's clear that he's having this discussion with Thoreau. And so he then asked Thoreau, what are you doing now? Do you keep a journal? And so Thoreau made his very first entry that day in response to Emerson's question. And then he was writing in it for most of his life until he got too weak and ill in later months to actually write in it. But he wrote in it almost every day. What did he write about? Everything. So as he said in, in at one point, he said, my journal is that of me which would else spill over and run to waste. So it's a, it's a place to put his thoughts. It's a place to practices writing to rewrite things to edit to think about things it was a, a in some ways a storehouse for information for thoughts but the, you know the journal is kind of interesting thing that people look at as almost like a diary which is not i mean th- there's a difference between you know a diary and journals but in some ways that's more of an academic difference than how thoreau might have looked at it but people look at the journal as almost his first response. He's going out in nature, he's doing this or that, something happens, let me write my journal. But often he was writing in a field notebook, just a cheaper notebook in which he could jot down notes while he's out in the woods. He's not carrying his journal around with him in the woods. And, And that's where he's writing his first thoughts. And then he would transcribe those entries into his journal, but not always right away. Sometimes it would be that day or that evening, sometimes it might not be for a day or two. And Thoreau's a writer, so obviously he's going to take the ideas that he put down in one form in the field notebook, and as he's writing into his journal, he's already sort of editing and creating and rewriting as things go. So the journal's often, in many cases, a second idea, second pass on things, not always. And so that writing process would be a place where he would put all of his thoughts into those journals, but when he wants to give a lecture... He would go through the journal and cull out ideas that worked together to create a lecture and eventually an essay and eventually an essay that might end up in a book. But there are places where he is, he will write something and then he will rewrite it the next day or several days later. theres I once sort of tracked down the whole different drummer passage that's so well known about Thoreau. And you can see him perfecting this over a period literally of years where he's tossing the idea around and then he writes something and he rewrites it three months later or six months later before he gets it just right to make that such a quotable phrase.
1: Now, that process sounds a lot like what writers do today. You know, like some guy has a tweet. And they'll take that tweet mm-hmm. and then they like, turn it into a blog post and then yep. <laughs> they might take that blog post and it turns into a lecture or like a TED talk or whatever. And then that TED talk turns mm-hmm. into a, an article for the, the Atlantic Monthly or the New York Times and then they get a book deal.
0: Yeah. And it is it, it is exactly that same process. It's it's taking that idea and using it in various forms and adjusting it to the next level per se and and seeing what you could do with it.
1: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Go to Indochino.com and use code manliness to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I N D O C H I N O.com, promo code manliness. And now back to the show. So, when did Thoreau decide to leave Walden Pond? Well, he left
0: on September 6th, 1847. And he left for, you know, actually a very mundane reason. And that was that. Emerson was going away on a lecture tour to Europe, and Mrs. Emerson, Lydian, wanted somebody to take care of her and the house, children, while Emerson was gone. And Thoreau had lived in the household before. He was very close to the family. The children loved him, so it made made perfect sense. So he went. So how long did he stay at Walden? He was there for two years, two, two years. months, two days. Kind of a beautifully symmetrical number that has absolutely no significance that anybody's ever figured out. But, you know, it's interesting when we think about when he was at, at the pond or when he left the pond. So people sort of almost conflate the name Thoreau and the name Walden together. I mean, you can almost, it's almost difficult for people to take the name Thoreau away from Walden or Walden away from Thoreau. They're so joined at the hip, so to speak, as if it was something that Thoreau could not live without being at Walden Pond. But this is an interesting thing, and it's not in any biography ever. And I actually have no idea why biographers sort of either don't see this point or refuse to see this point. So as I said, Emerson was going away on a lecture tour to Europe and asked Thoreau if he would come take care of the family. And Thoreau, of course, is going to say yes. He would absolutely do that for his friend. But Emerson wasn't leaving for almost five weeks when he asked Thoreau. And Thoreau did something that is so significant. It was when I first realized it, it it just kind of floored me. He packed his bags and moved to the Emerson house. He could have actually stayed at Walden for about four, four and a half more weeks than he did. And so you have to ask yourself the question, if being at Walden Pond was so, important to him, so significant, so something he couldn't do without, he would not have moved to Emerson's house until the day Emerson was getting on the coach or the train to go to Boston to get the boat to Europe. But he packed his bags and left. And, and the reason for that, I think, is that because as I said, we tend to equate the things he writes with autobiography, but they're not. And so it is actually, I think the writing process, in which we are meeting the thorough
1: that we know through his books. Yes, yeah, so like personally, he was probably ready to move on. Right, yeah. absolutely. Well, he, he said this about ending his Walden experiment. He said, I left the woods for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live. I cannot spare any more time for that one.
0: Absolutely. You know, and it's so that the 26 months he spent at the pond. I don't think they were life-defining moments in the same way that, you know, the various other things he did, including the night in jail or, or other things, were not life-defining moments. They're, they are moments that inspired him to ask questions about his life or life in general and things that he would then write about. And in that writing process, that's when
1: Henry David Thoreau becomes Thoreau. When did he decide to write Walden. So you mentioned as soon as you went out there you started getting asked questions he did this lecture about an autobiography my, for myself how far into the experiment did you say I got to start writing a book about this experiment Yeah I
0: mean, it's, it's a little unclear because nothing's dated you know so I mean there are there are manuscripts and there are, we have the various drafts of Walden but it's not clear exactly when those started but I would say pretty immediately into the experience when people are starting to say what are you doing there Henry he started thinking about what, it, what did it mean to be there.
1: And then how long did it take to write that first draft of the book?
0: Well, he wrote it while he was at Walden, so definitely within a year or two of being there because he was only there for two years. you know. And then the rest of it took, I mean, there were seven drafts, It so basically nine years to write oh, the wow. book that
1: we know as Walden. Yeah, and, Yeah, and you said uh, in one of your other books, Solid Seasons, which is about the friendship of Thoreau and Emerson, going back to this idea, you said that the writing of Walden not the actual visit to Walden, though living at Walden was more significant. You said two years at Walden Pond were not in the end as momentous and as transformative as the writing about those events. I mean, I want to flesh this idea. I mean, so like what what do you think was going on in Thoreau's head? So you said there's like Thoreau the person, mm-hmm. but the Thoreau we're seeing in Walden is not, it's, you said it's like creative nonfiction. Right. So what, what, I mean, was he trying to do, like, was he trying to take transcendental ideas that he was kind of baking in, stewing in, and superimposing that on his Walden experience? Or was something else going on? I think there's some of that. I think
0: it's, so there's, this is, this is a hard one to actually say out loud to people, but there's very little that Thoreau did that was original. So, you know, we, we can't think of somebody going off to live in the woods without thinking of Thoreau. We can't think of somebody performing an act of civil disobedience and going to jail for the things they believe in without thinking of Thoreau. But all those things have been done before by many people. It's in the writing of those experiences that he turns it into something, not just personal to himself, but universal, that at that point, we cannot think of that experience without thinking of it as Thoreau. So, you know, when you look at, for instance, Walden, when, The book was first published. It was called Walden or Life in the Woods. And he left very clear instructions before he died that that subtitle should be stricken off. The book should no longer be called Walden or Life in the Woods. It should just be called Walden. And I think, I mean, he never states why he did that, but I think the reason is because people were confusing what the book was about. And so when I teach Walden to students or anyone I don't talk about Walden as a book about a man living in the woods. I just talk about it as a a book about a man living, in which he's asking himself and his readers questions about how do you conduct your life? How do you conduct your life in relation to your, your government, your church, your society, your family, your friends, everything around you? How do you conduct your life in such a way that you hopefully can get through it without having regrets? And so I think it's important to remember that I think all of his works are works which are questioning how do we live our lives? You know, it's not, I mean, even civil disobedience, it's not just about, you know, his non-payment of taxes or what he was supporting. It is really about how does a person interact with a government, for instance, that you feel is doing something morally reprehensible? What do you do as an individual about it? Walden is the same. What do you do as an individual to make sure your life
1: is on the right path and you're doing the right things right the personal is universal is what yes mean. exactly yeah so you said it took nine years for him to finish mm-hmm. walden when it was released how was it initially received by critics um it, it, there are some
0: good reviews there are some bad reviews i would say overall it was not terribly successful there was an initial run of 2000 copies which is you know all right it's not a great number And it took the rest of Thoreau's life to sell that out. But there were people who loved it and were amazed by it. There was a man in New Bedford, a Quaker named Daniel Rickardson, who started a friendship with Thoreau, started a correspondence and a friendship because of that book. So there were a lot of people who liked it. It was well-respected in some literary circles, but not all. And then after Thoreau died, the book at that point it sold out and then went back into print and has remained in print ever since. So it is actually literally one of the few books of American literature that has virtually been in print ever since it came out. And that doesn't happen for most books. They go out of print for periods of time and that's never happened for Walden. So the interesting thing is that although it didn't have a huge success, you know, he, for instance, when he died or many years after he died, when they were putting together a collected, Set of his works. He was, for instance, the first American author to have his journals printed in full or what were virtually in full at the time. That didn't happen for other more successful or well known authors. It wasn't Emerson, it wasn't Hawthorne, it wasn't Melville, it was Henry David Thoreau who has journals published in full. So I think he was respected in many ways, but he really wasn't read a lot. And really, he wasn't read in colleges and and such until the 1940s and 1950s. So for virtually a hundred years after he died, he was really just kind of a footnote to Emerson and the transcendental ideas. People weren't really reading him a lot, but things changed. And now he is, you know, well-read a lot. He's, He's certainly read a lot.
1: Yeah, what happened? What, what caused this change? This happened to Melville as well. I remember when Moby Dick came out; it wasn't a success. But it wasn't until like the twentieth century that it became this American classic. What What happened with yeah, Thoreau? Yeah, I mean, in fact, in Melville, when he died, was virtually forgotten, which yeah. is you know amazing when you think
0: about it. I think for Thoreau, it was um, the right things at the right time. So by in the nineteen forties, people were reading things like Civil Disobedience and. They were literally using it during World War II to, to be conscientious objectors. You know, the reason people read Thoreau varies a lot. I mean, you have people who love the nature writing. You have people who love the civil disobedient. You have people who love various aspects of from the spiritual, whatever it is that people find in Thoreau, and that comes in different periods. So when we get into, for instance, the 1960s, you know, where Thoreau is considered like the original hippie, it's, it's people who are trying to find a more natural way of life, so a more simple way of life. So, of course, Thoreau is going to appeal to them. You have people later who it's all about nature and the descriptions of nature and the understanding of nature. You have various reasons for why people read Thoreau. But I think once people got
1: hold of Thoreau starting in the 1940s and 50s, it, people didn't stop reading him. So let's talk about some of the criticisms that are levied at Walden. Cause Walden's one of those books that people either they love it. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of people who's indifferent. They're indifferent to it. But uh, people I've talked to, either, they either love it. It's like a, I read that book when I was in high school, and it's like really influenced me. Or there's people who's like, ah, that book, yeah. <laughs> what a phony. I mean, that's one of the criticisms of uh, Thoreau's yep. experiments. Like it wasn't it was insufficiently authentic, right? I mean, yeah. they, they they say that well, Thoreau made it sound like he was, you know, living this very wild and solitary life when, you know, he actually was close to town, he regularly had visitors, and then he, you know, Thoreau, he makes himself out as this paragon of self-sufficiency when his family sometimes fed him and so on and so on. What do you think about that criticism? Yeah. You know, so I think
0: the people who think they know about Thoreau, they really haven't read his works. Or maybe they've read Walden, for instance, but it's a cursory reading. They're not really paying attention because they're not getting at what Thoreau wrote. They're only getting some ideas of what they think Thor wrote about. is really clear everywhere in that book. He is not off in the wilderness. He is not far from town. He talks about walking into town every day or two. He talks about visitors. He talks about visiting people. He is literally not making any of those statements that people levy against him. And so people are coming to Walden with misconceptions that they will not let go of. And every so often people write articles about Thoreau and Thoreau being the hypocrite that he is and all that kind of thing. But that's because people are not reading him carefully. You know, it, it's, they think of him as some kind of hermit, somebody who went away from society, not true, society was always important to him. I mean, being part of a community, being part of Concord, being part of his family, those are important things. He didn't walk away from anything or try to get away from you know it's, it's kind of interesting if you think about the time he spent at Walden Pond the two years two months two days that's five percent of his life that means that 95 percent of his life that was spent living in a town not primarily Concord a short time in New York and in Cambridge but somehow we ignore this thorough who spent his day interacting with family and friends and farmers strangers students employers audiences and think only about the time at Walden Pond, turn him into a hermit, and then call him a hypocrite because he wasn't. I, I just think people are, they get him wrong. I talk to a, a lot of students, and for many of them, that idea of living a Thoreauvian life has to do with separating themselves from society, shutting off their phones maybe, or unplugging their laptops, going off on their own, living in the woods or some equivalent or like Christopher McCandless going off into the wild. And I tell them, no, you've got it all wrong. That is not what it's about. It's just about how to live your life. And I think people who feel that they need to do something Therrovian, and in doing that, it is going and building a cabin in the woods or going off somewhere to the mountains or whatever, are really missing the point of what the book is about.
1: Yeah, you say it's about living deliberately. Right, not necessarily, right, exactly. like not deliberately in the woods, but just living deliberately in general.
0: Absolutely. And, and people love to tear down iconic figures. I mean, there was an article in The New Yorker several years ago by Catherine Schultz, where she just tears Thoreau down. Several years before that, John Updike had done a similar kind of piece, tearing Emerson down. I mean, there's just something about a target. And, you know, it's it's easy to like fling accusations at writers you don't quite understand and and there are reasons why writers do that because it certainly gets them an audience yeah. we're going to cheer them on but yeah i think you're right i think most people do either love or hate Thor. i don't think there's any sort of middle ground with him i remember giving i was giving a lecture somewhere and somebody came up to me beforehand and said you oh, you're doing the thorough talk later and i said yeah and she said i hate him <laughs> and it's like oh well <laughs> like then don't come you know it's it's you know i don't understand why people are so interested in tearing him down. Read thorough. If you like him, keep reading him. If you don't like him, put the book down and go somewhere, do something else. Um, but there are people who are
1: strongly vehement about tearing him down and calling him a hypocrite. Yeah, and I think what you've been saying, that it wasn't, the actual Walden experience wasn't that, tr- I mean, he, like he left, right? He just, mm-hmm. it wasn't, he wasn't attached to it. But I, I think he saw that it was a symbol for something larger, of that whole idea that he wanted. I'm going to, you know, I'm not just going to do whatever my parents did or what, you know, Concord people want me to do. Like mm-hmm. I want to, I want to live life on my terms. That's what the like, Walden is just a symbol of that. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I think
0: about the, the criticisms about him as being like contradictory and all that, but, you know, I, I actually love that about him. I mean, I, it's part of what attracts me to him as a writer and as a human being, You know, when we have these iconic figures, we sometimes like to make them out of stone and not out of clay. We want them something solid and not really malleable and want to be able to say Thoreau was a whatever, a blank. And that should be who Thoreau is from the day he was born till the day he died. But, you know, I mean, the fact is Thoreau was the vegetarian who ate meat or the conservationist who surveyed woodlots to be cut down, the pacifist who endorsed violence. I mean, he's the hermit who loved gossip. There's just so much that is... Not, I don't want to call it contradictory or even hypocrisy. It is a person who is absolutely willing to question everything about himself all the time, and to grow. And it's something that people, I think, have trouble with.
1: No, I, I totally get that. I mean, I I love Thoreau for that reason too. Is what he does in Walden, how these you know, these things where he's kind of like, you know, ranting about some aspect of life. And it's mm-hmm. not that he's like, well, I'm just gonna reject that. He's like, well, I'm still gonna take part in that. But like, I mean, here's some stuff that I'm just I it's not it's not that great. Maybe I can make it better. So for example, you know, we often think of Thoreau as this this hermit, this loner. But like you said, he had guests coming in all the time. He had this one instance where he talked about I had like 20 people in my house. <laughs> um yeah. so he loved people, but then he has this thing in this in the chapter on solitude. I ju- I just I laughed out loud and I read it. He said this society is commonly too cheap. We meet at very short intervals, not having had time to acquire any new value for each other. Mm-hmm. We meet at meals three times a day, this is my favorite part, and give each other a new taste of the old musty cheese that we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you read that, like, man, Henry, you're you're cynical. Yep. But I mean, I think yeah. all of us experience that. You know, we you might, even though you love being around people, there's periods where you're just like, ah, oh, just these people are, are annoying me. I, I, I need yeah. a break.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause he, he did love people, but he, you know, people talk to him as, as if he was, he didn't like people. And, and that's so wrong because he actually loved conversing with people, but what he particularly loved in conversing with anybody is an exchange of ideas. So, you know, he doesn't want to just sort of sit around and say, Oh, what'd you have for lunch? You know, it's really, you know, what did you think about while you had your lunch? What, what are your thoughts? And if those thoughts hadn't changed, there's no point in getting together again. You know, he was, he was annoyed when people Wanted to come on walks with him. I mean, walking in the woods was not for Thorough, that was work. He is working when he's walking in the woods. And he said somewhere that, you know, he wouldn't necessarily follow a doctor and and watch them, you know, with a patient, you you because they're doing their work. But when Thoreau's out in the woods and doing his work, people just think he's walking in the woods and and having a nice time of it. So people would accompany him sometimes. And that was exasperating to him because it was interfering with his, his process.
1: Well, another contradiction I noticed in Walden is you know, he'd have these rants against industry and business, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there, he'd had these sections where he would speak admirably of the spiritedness of these New, new England industrialists. Right. And I thought, I mean, I think, I mean, that's what I think a lot of people have a hard time with Individuals who are like that, who won't take sides on things, who can see mm-hmm. both the good and bad, and that's one of the things I love about Thoreau. Yeah, me too. And and, and people like look at some of the things he said about
0: industry and, and think he was you know some kind of Luddite who did not like progress. But again, that's so absolutely not true. I mean, he was very interested in progress. Um, if you think about it, he was published by some of the greatest publishers of his day, who used the greatest and newest techniques for publishing you know, he used the railroad. I mean, it's the railroad had things that were annoying about it. They were noisy and, and they caused fires and, and woods were torn down. But on the other hand, that railroad was something that allowed Thoreau to get from Concord to Cambridge or Boston to use the libraries in a relatively short amount of time. So these were tools to be used. Um, I know there's this passage where he talks about farmers and how they used to set their, their timepieces. pieces, their, watches, clocks, whatever, by the sun. And the sun is overhead, it must be noon. But when the train started coming through Concord, they started setting their timepieces by the train. The train's coming through, it must be two o'clock. And and losing that sort of vital connection to the world around them. And so Thoreau, I think, was somebody who admired technology, but did not love it when technology ruled people. You shouldn't set your clock by the, the train. So you know, I think about just all of the people today, myself included, how we're tied to our phones, you know, things like that. The, the, the phone buzzes or rings and some kind of message, you know, we got to go see who it is or what they're talking about, and not refusing to run just because the bell goes off, to use technology as a tool. I mean, people say, Would, if they were here, wouldn't he have a laptop? And it's like, well, of course he'd have a laptop. He's a writer. What writer doesn't have a laptop? You know he loved to do research. think of the the you know how much Thor would love the idea of going on the internet and finding most of the books he's looking for, you know right there for him to read. It would be amazing. So. But that would be using the technology and not letting the technology use him.
1: Yeah, that's a common thing he looked at in Walden. Like, don't become a tool of your tools. Exactly. He talked about the rails. Like, we used to ride on the rails, but now the rails ride on us. He said, don't, yes. don't avoid that. Make sure, use this stuff, but don't make sure you're not subjected or like you're, you become a servant to this stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. So what principles or inspiration do you think people in the modern world here in the 21st century, whether they live a more wild or more domesticated life, what do you think they can take from Thoreau's Walden experiment?
0: Well, I think certainly the idea about questioning what we're doing, why we're doing it. I think trying to understand, I mean, a lot of what Thoreau is about is trying to understand who he himself is. What does he feel and think about things? There's a quotation that I I actually love it's one of the shortest ones so I can actually memorize it and he said if I am not I who will be and I love that because so many of us whether we're children students in in high school or college or adults uh, we could be 80 years old and still doing this where we sometimes deny or hide who we are um, because we want to be accepted we want to be brought into the fold you know things like that and so we spend a lot of our lives, not being true to ourselves for various reasons. And I think the thing like that's most inspiration about thorough is the idea that you need to be true to yourself and figure out who you are and then be that person. I mean, if you, if you think about how absolutely unique each of us are as individuals, you know, that we we should be proud of who we are, what we believe in, what our preferences are, what are, you know, the, anything about us, it makes us who we are. And that's such a
1: beautiful thing that comes out of Thoreau. So, you've been studying the life and writings of Thoreau for decades. Uh, I'm curious, in your own life, how has his thoughts and ideas influenced you? And then also, like, how has it changed as you've gotten older? Because I, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of us read Walden when we're 17, 18, or early 20s, yeah. and it, it hits different from when you're in your 40s and 50s. So, I'm, I'm curious, personally, it how has it, how's that influenced your life? Yeah. In fact, it's, it's one of the things when I talk to high school students and
0: they don't like the book, I say, that's absolutely fine, but read it again when you're 30 or read it when you're 50 or 60, cause it will be a different book. You know, I mean, it's been really helpful to me in ways that, um, it's kind of hard to sort of figure out how to phrase it, but it's, it's really taking the ideas that Thora has about questioning ourselves and testing them out on my, on me, you know, it's, taking the ideas of simplicity, it's taking the ideas of being true to yourself, it's taking the ideas of not harming other people, being good to the world around you, trying to improve the world around you, that you have to take sort of seriously. There's a great quotation, if I can remember it exactly, by the Austrian philosopher Martin Buber. And Buber had said that thorough He addressed his readers in a way that they discovered not only why Thoreau acted as he did, but also that the reader, assuming him, of course, to be honest and dispassionate, would have to act in just such a way whenever the proper occasion arose, provided he was seriously engaged in fulfilling his existence as a human being. And And I kind of love that idea that when you read Thoreau, or at least when I read Thoreau, I want to be better than I am. I want to be a better person. I want to do more for my neighbors or the people around me. I want to make the world a better place. And that is what I, I get out of Thoreau and find most inspiring about him because he doesn't really let you off the hook. And I don't want to be let off the hook. I, you know, I don't want to glide through life, as he said, like his neighbors who are asleep. I want to be awake to what's going on around me and face things, whether it's good or bad, but face them
1: and, and deal with them in whatever way I can. Well, Jeffrey, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work? So I have a website,
0: com, and that's where people can sort of keep tabs on the work I'm doing and where I might be speaking or or what I'm publishing these days. And for the work I do for the Walden Witch Project, they can go to www.walden.org and find out about what I'm doing
1: there. Fantastic. Well, Jeffrey Kramer, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, and thank you so much, Brett, for inviting me. My guest today was Jeffrey S. Kramer. He's the curator of collections at the Walden Woods Project Library. He's also the author and editor of several books about Thoreau and Walden, including Walden, a fully annotated edition. You can find more information about his work at his website, jeffreyskramer.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash Walden, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad free episodes of the AOM podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLYS to check out for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android, and iOS, and you can start enjoying ad free episodes of the AOM podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you not to listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action.